0: Welcome to Mercy Talk. I am one of your hosts, Melanie Wise. And I'm your other host, Jen Otero. Mercy Talk is presented to you by Mercy Multiplied, a nonprofit Christian organization that is committed to seeing hope restored and lives transformed through the love and power of Christ. Since 1983, Mercy has helped thousands of young women break free from life-controlling behaviors and
1: struggles through our free-of-charge, biblically-based residential program. That's right. And Mercy's outreach activities are designed to educate, equip, and empower men and women of all ages to live free and to stay free. So on Mercy Talk, we want to tackle real life issues and everyday struggles that affect our lives by applying the same biblically-based principles of freedom that we've seen effectively change lives for 35 years. To
0: find out more, go to mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Well, hey, everyone. We are really excited to kind of have just a special mercy talk show today. Um, you know, we often do a lot of our shows in the midst of series on different topics. And today um, we're kind of doing a, a standalone show, um, but that one that we are so, so excited about. We have two very special guests with us today. Um, pastor Mike Burnett and his wife, Stephanie, are here with us. And Mike is the lead pastor of Life Point Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, and really, it is just a church that we have just come to love so much here at Mercy. Um, we've been connected with them for a little while now, and I know that um, they've had our founder, Nancy, come out and speak a couple of times at their church. We, um, I know that you guys are actually using a lot of our uh, Keys to Freedom resources in different areas in your church, um, and then we've had them come out and speak to our staff and our residents before. It's just been a really cool connection, um, and I know one that's just begun. So we're thrilled to have you guys with us today, so we appreciate you taking the time to, to come and be with us. For sure. Sure, it's our pleasure. Yes, thank you for having us. Well, and and something that we're going to be jumping into today, um, I feel like it's I can't not say some of just kind of your heart and what you you guys are doing there um, at LifePoint because um, a fact that we just recently learned yes, about LifePoint Church is that a uh, a recent study it's Outreach Magazine that releases this um, this statistical information from what is it Life LifeWay yeah. Um,
2: LifeWay research. resources,
0: or yeah, yeah, research, and so um, they have recently um, shared that LifePoint Church in Clarksville is the number one fastest-growing church in the United States, which is it's, I mean, that's big, that's huge, that's That's huge information. (laughs) Um, and something that, you know, as we just look at what's happening there at LifePoint and the way that you are impacting people's lives, impacting the community, and just even in our conversations with you guys in the past, just knowing your heart for the church and knowing, um, how I just think it just so beautifully aligns with the father's heart for his church. Um, it's no wonder that he's blessing it and growing it in the way that he is. And so, um, we are honored to have you guys with us and I think really what we want to cover today and some of the things that we want to look at I just can't think of two better people to talk about these things and so thank you guys so much for being here Um, I would love, actually, Jen, why don't you kick us off?
1: Yeah. Well, I know that we've talked in the past just kind of how this all started for you guys. You know, you took over this church eight years ago and it looked very different than what it is now. Mm-hmm. So if you could give, maybe give us a little history on LifePoint in general, as well as what y'all do there, just your church. If you could just give a picture of what it looks like there, that I think that'd be a great place for us mm-hmm. to start.
2: Sure. Um, so I'm Mike and this is my wife, Stephanie. We've been married 16 years, have four daughters. And, uh, we started out in college dating and then married right after I graduated college, started ministry while she went, finished grad school. And then I went to seminary. And, um, then we came back to Tennessee to take over, to find a church. We wanted to be near near Nashville, particularly because we're musicians. And er originally we thought we wanted to pastor entertainers Mm -hmm. in the music industry because we're musicians. So we speak the language of music and, um, we have always kind of had a missional bend towards people of influence. That was kind of our heart. We wanted to disciple people who influence culture. Mm. And so uh, when when I was looking for churches, it was either near LA or Nashville. And a friend of mine, uh, Terry Allen, who works with uh, an incredible ministry, Calcutta Mercy Ministry, as well as uh, he's got another organization called MVP, which is Caring for Pastors. Uh, he told me about this church and Forty-five minutes from Nashville. In fact, I like to say Nashville is a suburb of Clarksville.
0: There you go. <laughs> Absolutely, it's not quite 100% catching on accurate. yet. Yeah.
2: But anyway, um, <laughs> it, it was a church that was a five-year-old church plant and had um, had kind of a quick burst of growth, and uh, they bought property and built a new building in four years. And then the senior pastor transitioned out uh, with some pain associated with that, and the church had gone from around two hundred and fifty or so down to some days 20, 30 people. And uh, we were in Missouri at the time. And a year after they opened the new building is when we came and moved there to be the new pastors. Mm. So it's now a five-year-old church with a brand new building, two and a half million in debt. Wow. And we had uh, our voting body was 52 people who voted on us to be the pastors. Uh, So then 85 showed up our first Sunday. We had 300 chairs and we put out 200 because <laughs> we wanted it to feel a little fuller. Mm-hmm. So we put a hundred chairs mm-hmm. like in closets and hallways and everything else. Um, but here we were, we were there. I was 30. She was 28. Uh, she turned 29. Like we had our first anniversary, anniversary rather that first week we were there. Wow. Um, and we had two little kids, two little girls, but it was great. We were excited to be pastors and, and have our own church. What's God's church, but we pastor and I remember I remember telling our board in during the interview process, I said, this building's way too small, by the way. And they loved it. They're like, what are you talking about? This building's awesome. We just built it. I said, yeah, well, we'll go to five services before we tear it down and build again. And they just didn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were thinking, how in the world? You know, we're so far behind. And, and truly, my first month as pastor, we were $15,000 behind that month of, wow. like, paying bills. And hmm. we had to sell land. Um, we had 28 acres, and we had to sell sell four acres just to guarantee a salary mm. for the senior pastor for one <laughs> wow. year. So they told me, they're like, we can pay you for one year. And then after that, you may need to get a job. <laughs> oh, so, man. uh, it was, it was a bleak situation, but I didn't know that because yeah. i never been in that position before. So I never carried the heavy weight of that before. And about three months in, I remember having mm. a moment with my, one of my mentors and I just called him panicking going, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. What are you thinking? And he encouraged me, God's in it, uh, stick it out. Mm. And so anyway, uh, since then, you know, the church has, um, grown significantly and we're really honored and humbled about what outreach magazine wants to say about us and, and the church, we give all the credit to Jesus and all the praise to our teams. You know, we try not to take any of it, but, um, it's gone from about 85 to a little over 4,000 in eight years. And we're in it two campuses in Clarksville. We have a daughter church in Smyrna, Tennessee, which is doing really well, mm. which is south of Nashville. And our, our hope is to continue to grow campuses. Honestly, I think the days of like building a big, huge mm-hmm. mega campus, um, A, we don't have the room on our property or the money, uh, but B, I, you know, we want to, Diversify the efforts, franchise it, if you will, like Subway. I don't know, (laughs) but uh, just like Subway, that's kind of the model that we're we're going for. But we're just trusting the Lord for the growth. And and honestly, I'm I'm convinced because I believe the Bible, and I tell a lot of pastors this: you can't grow your church; you can only plant seed and water seed, and God brings growth. Yeah, Yeah. so it's it's kind of like a garden. You can get the best tomato seed. You can put like twenty pounds of Miracle Grow. And you can scream at the seed, you can yell (laughs) at it, you can pray over it, you can lay hands on it, but only God will bring growth in the proper time. Mm. And for some reason, God has chosen to grow his church here Mm. um, in a way that that none of us have seen before. And so good. And uh, we, we know that it's all his doing. You know, we talked once before on a podcast, like everything special that happens in our lives, it's all God going, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. used you. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. So.
0: Yeah. I, as a funny side note, I do think it's pretty comical that you guys wanted to pastor a church of musicians and That's right. instead.
2: Yeah, so we're pastoring in an army town. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that's right. With, yeah.
2: So we it's pastor in an army town. And the irony for me, particularly more than Stephanie, you know, the, the, the traditional joke is the pastor's wife's the keyboard player. Well, she has her master's in piano. <laughs> and uh, I quit football to join the choir in high school. So I'm 6'6", six, six 60 or so, and I um, did you see that? Or so, yeah. <laughs> Orso, and I, I, I quit playing basketball and football to be in the choir, and uh, I'm an opera singer, trained opera singer from college. So here I am, pastoring in an army town, and we've got a lot of high speed alpha males, um, very influential people. In fact, some of the biggest things that have happened in our world, um, especially as it pertains to war. Um, come out of our town. Mm -hmm, Clarksville is mm -hmm. known for special operations and and a lot of cool things that you can Google. I don't want to say because I don't want to get in trouble. But yeah, <laughs> um, there's just a lot of cool things. And so we 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 get to pastor people who are influencing literally yeah, the global right stage of conflict. Yeah, which has been really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: we we love that aspect of our city. Even though we're in the south and we're in Tennessee, it really doesn't feel like your typical southern mm-hmm, city. It's mm-hmm. people from everywhere, people coming and going, PCSing, yeah. and we often get people for PCS means permanent change of station. I was about to say, I don't, I don't, thank you. I was going to sign. Yes. There, PC that
1: means yeah, totally
3: PCS-ing. <laughs> yes. So we get people for two years, three years at a yeah. time, Max, they get antsy, they're ready to go. And I'm like, wait, you want to leave us? Yeah. But that's just kind of in their DNA, you know? And mm-hmm. so we've had to really kind of change our thinking that, um, instead of taking it personal every time, you know, towards the government that they're moving people, mm-hmm. I just started going, you know, we have an opportunity mm-hmm. to yeah. invest in these families for two years, maybe three, and that's then awesome. God sends them on their way. It's kind of like missions in reverse. The mm-hmm. government this is on the government's dime. They're paying to move people to Clarksville mm-hmm. to four. Campbell and we're praying every week that God will send unchurched uh lost people and if mm-hmm. they're in the military even better send yeah. them I pray they get saved a spouse gets saved the husband gets saved and families are getting mm-hmm. saved and then the government moves them on and that's it and I pray that their next duty station that they share Christ where they're going and so it's like this awesome. amazing it missions in reverse we don't even have to pay for their moves like God is sending them mm-hmm. literally around the world you know you're so talking cool. Korea and uh, Germany and then of course a lot of undisclosed locations in the Middle East yeah. and, and God is using these soldiers and their families yeah. all over the world. So we pray while they're in Clarksville, while they're at Fort Campbell, yep. that if, if we could be a church that would bless them and mm-hmm. we can invest in them, <sighs> man, God's got this, man. you know? That's so awesome.
0: I mean, I will say that so much that I do know about Life Point Church outside of what I know from you guys has come from a family member that I had who was based at Fort Campbell. And um, so I've just been able to hear from a person who's living in that community and with those people and in that town about like the impact that that church is having. And I know some things that have even happened close to home from my family member that has just been like, I mean, that's happening. The thing that you're praying for is absolutely happening. And so it's just, it's just amazing. And and I'd be interested to know, even just kind of, you know, you can go to a church's website and be like, okay, this is what they do. These are the ministries they have. These are, you know, but from, from your perspective, as the leader of that church, what would you say are that some of the things that just really kind of make life point who you are? Um, you know, if it's values or just the heart of who you are, what, what would you guys say to that?
2: So, um, coming here was, uh, to me, it's been a huge experiment in missiology. And I think, a couple things. The, I think the local church has, has got to reclaim a missional heart for a city. Mm, mm. Right. So we've, in the evangelical world, especially, we've made mission something we do over there. Yeah. Right. And it's something we do in other countries or we do in impoverished parts of town or whatever. And so we build churches based on brand names. We build, it's the first assembly. It's the first Methodist. It's the first this or the second that, or we give it some new trendy name and then we subtly put what we belong to. Mm. And we try to build churches around again, identity, something we talked about once mm-hmm. before, which is theological branding or denominational branding. But I think the pulpit is the center of missional output for a church. Mm-hmm. So like I look at the three square miles, you know, or the radius of two and a half miles and in any direction, I go, who's here? Uh, what's God doing? Where's God missing? What's the language of the land? Yeah. And how do we lead a church that looks like where we are? When I was, I remember after seminary interviewing for churches and somebody asked me one time, they said, okay, if you're at our church for three or four years and it's got Mike Burnett's DNA on it, what does Mike Burnett's church look like in three or four years? I said, hopefully nothing. Hopefully it's closed if it's my church, (laughs) Uh, but if it's Jesus's church, it looks like the city it sits in. And so we... We that's have awesome. from the beginning when I remember when they interviewed me at LifePoint, they're asking, you know, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? I said, I don't know. I got to get in town and learn the city. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a huge exercise in missional ecclesiology. That's, uh, that's the language that I, I use for it. It's we want to do church like missionaries to our city instead of doing church through a brand and a history of a denomination. Let your church reflect its city racially, demo, uh, geograph, uh, excuse me, racially, uh, financially, gender wise. Career-wise, So like 65% of our city is military connected and so is our church. Mm. We're about 30% non-white in Clarksville and so is our church. We have economic diversity throughout our city and so does our church. We want it to look like our city, but we're very intentional for that. We want it to look and sound and, and talk like our city. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, awesome. that's one thing. I think if you, if you would uh, be missional to your town, it's risky mm. because you'll start attracting people that don't look like you. Yeah. Right, You start attracting lost people and people of other backgrounds and other faiths and other, whatever. And you got to know that Jesus loves them all. You can't just say, well, we got a church for you on that side of town. Or, yeah, we got a church for you. That's no, no, no. Good. We're the church of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is very colorful and very diverse. So that, so that was part of it. Like, I, I learned in school, too, this this idea of what we call the missional helix. Um, Ray Bakke, B-A-K-K-E, wrote a book uh, really for pastors about this idea of missional ecclesiology and that in a town, you want to discover the history, theology, and the culture of a city. And out of those things, build a strategy.
0: Mm. <laughs> but
2: a lot of church planners, a lot of churches start with strategy and then hope, if I build a strategy, they will come and then they'll become my strategy. Right. So we want you to, we want to attract you to our church through, you know, I don't know, Halloween block party or whatever kind of events. And then once you get here, come be like us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I went the other direction and I said, okay, I'm going to discover what this city looks like. What's the history of our town? What's the theology of our town? Which means where's God active? Where's God missing? What do people believe? What do they misbelieve? Uh, What's the culture of our town and the, the history, theology and culture? And then we're going to build a church that reflects Mm -hmm. that and points all of those things to Jesus, Mm, right? Let Jesus be the king of this culture and this, let Jesus rewrite the history and the theology of our town. It's very risky, but it's way more rewarding. Mm. And here's what's happened. We've seen over 50% of our church are people who are not saved or newly saved or had been out of church for a very long time. The sociologists call it unchurched and dechurched people. We're reaching people for Jesus for real. Mm. Now there is some transfer growth and we never, ever go after that. And in fact, I always tell people when they tell me what church they are at, I say, Oh, I'm going to call your pastor and tell them you're here.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> those
2: pastors are my friends, you know, I'm not yeah. here to take from other churches, but we know that some of that happens as well. But by and large over 50, I think it was 52% in a survey we did a year ago said that half of our church were unchurched, unchristian before coming. Man. But that's missional ecclesiology, right? So that's shaping mm. your church around the mission of God. It's awesome. To look like and feel like a city that it's in and then point all of that to Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I I think, too, you saying that is making me go, I'm going back right now to the days where I used to work at a church in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. And I remember so many times that we as a church um, would try to like model everything we did after these other churches that are out in like... Yeah. Idaho. Yeah. It actually was Idaho. It's a great church. But like trying to model exactly what we did. Well, it worked for them, so it will work for us. And then when right. it didn't, we were like, oh man.
2: Yeah, you so that, choose, that's, you know, that's, that's like, a real that's strong good. tendency. And honestly, in the position we're in too, people are asking us a lot, like, what are you doing? What uh-huh, are you doing? Uh-huh. And I'm always quick to say, here's some, here's some systems we have, but you have to know your city. That's good. It's different. Like if I pastored in, um, you know, Florida with all these New York retirees coming down that just come in the fall or the, Snow you know, birds. snowbirds that come in the winter, yep. I would pastor it very differently. Yep. I would dress it. I'd talk different, I'd act differently, not because... I'm different, but because I want to be all things all people, yeah. so that I might save some, Paul says. But you have to learn your city. So my pastor and my mentors come a lot of them out of Birmingham, and Birmingham's different than Clarksville. Mm-hmm. Birmingham is an iron town with a lot of traditional and lots of old money. Mm. We don't have that in Clarksville. Uh, We have a lot of transfer growth. We got a lot of racial diversity. And it, like Birmingham has a racial divide. It's huge Mm, in the civil rights history of our country. The racial division of Birmingham is way different than the racial division of Clarksville. There's a lot more melting together in Clarksville because military and people from Mm. all over the world, German, Korean, African-American, Hispanic, everybody from all over the place. So we don't feel the same tension, even though Chris Hodges is my pastor, Dino Rizzo is my overseer, and we get mentorship from there. I don't want to... Feel like them. Now, I may learn systems from them, right? but we have to know the culture of our town and be willing to settle that. But it is a common tendency when something's working somewhere, we want to copy it or emulate it or learn from it without keeping the culture yep. specific to your church. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Which also takes so much humility and willingness oh, for sure. to learn. Like, I'm not going to come into this place and think I know what you people need. Well, <laughs> like, so,
2: like, think about this. I'm a I'm a musician, Right. And I'm, but I'm passing in a military town,
0: yeah.
2: right? So I know arts, I know, uh-huh. you know, languages and, and emotion <laughs> and the guys in our church stand, like Jesus is not their mm, lover. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They don't yeah. worship Jesus the lover. To me about- <laughs> yeah. Jesus lover of my soul. They're going, yeah. that's weird. I don't get that.
0: <laughs> New song. Mm. Christ,
2: the King, mm-hmm. God's a warrior, mm-hmm. right? Like, right? Like the conqueror, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. That's language that makes sense yeah. in our town. Yeah, where, where I was before, I was in an academic town with a lot of schools and colleges and universities and seminary. And there, we just over—we think God is this great scientist, you know. <laughs> so, so knowing your town and being able to adapt—that's how an opera singer pastors a bunch of snipers. Yeah, because I'm a missionary to them, and I want to learn their language and yeah. their culture and DNA, and point them to Jesus. It's so good.
0: It doesn't mean that you're changing no. truth. It just means that you're connecting Correct. with where they are. And there's yep. there's just so much. Um, Humility and I just feel like heart of the
2: father in that yeah. is that
0: I'm not going to try to get you to come over here, I'm going to come to where you are. Yeah, sure. it's just good. That was Jesus. Oh,
2: at, okay, you remember the story of him at the woman with the woman at the well? Mm-hmm. It said he had to go through Jericho,
0: mm-hmm.
2: he had to. There's something burning in him mm-hmm. that was urgent. Yeah. Nobody went through Jericho mm-hmm. from Jerusalem, they mm-hmm. always went around that, they hated that place, they bypassed it all the time. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, not Jericho, Samaria. He had like, to go to Samaria. Yeah, I know. Read your Bible, Mike. Like,
0: man, I really thought I knew that story. Yeah. Okay.
2: He had Samaria to go through Samaria. Yeah, And any rabbi from Jerusalem was not going through Samaria, yeah. but he had to.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's a coming to them. Yes, That's a, yes. I want to come to her. So, I mean, and, and if you know the story of the woman at the well, there's a lot of layers to why there were so many kingdom moments there. Him speaking to a woman in public. And mm-hmm. Why was she there at noon instead of at six in the morning because mm-hmm. of shame and all these issues? But he had to go there. Mm-hmm. And I think as pastors, like I, we had a sense that we had to go to Clarksville and we want Jesus. We think Jesus has to come to our city. And honestly, that, there's a resurgence of that among pastors in our town. They're feeling that. They mm-hmm. know Like what's worked forever isn't working anymore because Jesus has to come to Clarksville in 2018. Mm, mm -hmm. We can't do Clarksville like 22, 2010 or 2007 or 1986. Jesus has to come back this yep. year. Yep. And, and pastors in our town are getting that. And yeah. there's a resurgence. There's growth in a, in a lot of the churches in our town because of that.
0: Man, that's so good. <laughs> Don't that. get me started on that <laughs> I mean, because I have, I've been meeting more with pastors in the Nashville area and I keep hearing that exact same phrase of we're just starting to learn. And these are pastors of big old churches that have been around for forever. And they are actually saying, I think we're actually learning that what's always worked isn't going to work anymore. And it's, a. am like, thank you. And thank you for just having the humility of being willing to learn new things and new ways to connect with this generation and new ways. I just, it's, Oh man, that gets me fired up. <laughs>
2: it's true. in every other, every other genre of everything. Yeah. yeah. Paper has evolved. Yeah. And technology has evolved. And t- I mean, we're talking on microphones that are different than microphones you would have used just 10 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Everything evolves except religious practice. Mm. Um, I, I like to say to our church, the God who never changes
0: mm-hmm.
2: is always up to something new. That's mm-hmm. right. let I mean, chew on that. That's just crazy. That's so crazy. He's immutable, immovable. He never changes. He's the same. Mm-hmm. And he's always doing something Because
1: mm-hmm. he's so creative. I love it. He's like, you can't put me in a box.
3: I came to Empower because we're thinking about starting a residential treatment center in Newport News, Virginia and the two pastors have really no idea of where to begin. So we heard about this and he suggested, well, maybe you should come and just check it out. And I've always been an advocate of learning. I have a degree in counseling and I'm always trying to find programs that I can learn from.
0: The whole curriculum in itself, I think, sets itself apart from anything. Um, I love everything about Mercy. I love what Mercy stands for. And I I loved how the questions were laid out. I love that, um, just how the stories of other Mercy girls were brought into the curriculum. And so, um, again, I just think that brings a, a realness to it. If you're on the
1: fence of whether or not you should come to Empower or not, I'll tell you this. The devil only attacks those who are threats. And whatever that thing that you're dealing with in your mind, it's because The adversary knows that this knowledge is a threat to his work. And I would say just press through, get your happy butt here and get this information. you guys say as you kind of look at LifePoint or even the big C church, this is almost a kind of a twofold question that you're just most excited about, that you see God doing that you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, we talk about the fact that y'all have been rated, you know, the number one growing church and that's awesome. But I also know there's these moments of the one-on-one or these scenarios that you see in families or just different things. What do you feel like you are the most excited about when you look at LifePoint as well as just the big C church in the world, in the nation?
2: Yeah, so you know this church growing is God's fault. So, you know, we I'm excited that He grew His church here. Yeah. Honestly, Um, but we also we we never lose sight of the prophetic edge of of the local church. Mm -hmm. I think I I appreciate what's been said for years in the evangelical world: the local church is the hope of the world. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get comfortable with the church we know or the church we have or the you know it, it. takes care of our needs as the pastor or whatever it is, or, or, um, or we've gotten to a comfortable size where we're not stressed anymore. Right. But as long as lost people are alive, I'm stressed. Mm. Like it compels me and it compels us as a church. And I try to keep that in front of our people too. Lost people matter. We didn't build this place for us. We built it for the missing. Uh, We don't exist for us. We exist for those who are coming. And the, the message I read this book in graduate school called prophetic imagination by Walter Brueggemann. And he says the message of the prophet has always been from the Old Testament through the new and should still be for the churches. The message of the prophetic is always you're a sinner. Here's God's solution. Let me take you there. And so I would just I charge pastors a lot when I talk about preaching or coaching and leadership, like don't lead towards size, lead towards prophecy, lead towards the prophetic edge. And I don't mean prophecy like kind of weird futures, you know, like in seven days you're going to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the prophetic. You're broken. You're wounded. You're sinful. You need Jesus. Here's the solution. Let me lead you to him. Mm. That's prophetic.
0: Mm-hmm. So I just,
2: I don't want us to lose a prophetic edge because our church has grown, um, because lost people still matter and found people still need to be more devoted to Jesus. Mm. And mm-hmm. so do we. So mm-hmm. I, I just keep urging people back to the the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel and stay prophetic with that. Call people to repentance. Preach hard. Like this world does not need to be soft pedaled on. Hmm. Just preach hard. Don't be mean or arrogant. Just preach the tough business. Jesus never was like, are you okay with this? You know, like he never asked. Never. Do you agree? (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about that? He never did that. How does that make you feel? Uh And that was prophetic edge, man. Uh He was so Uh willing to speak to people where they were at. He was never condemning, Mm -hmm. never shaming, always embraced people in their brokenness. I love, I love his reaction Uh, like for example, with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus comes to him at night, super religious, very faithful to religion and morals. And he comes to him at night and he's like, okay, Jesus, (laughs) what do I have to do to have salvation? Jesus is like, yeah, just follow me. Leave all that and follow me. Which is so simple and crazy. Mm -hmm. Like leave what you know and follow him. That's the call of all people in the world. Follow Jesus. Same thing he says to the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. So he's teaching in the temple on Saturday morning. He's a good rabbi, <laughs> and it says while he was teaching, the religious leaders brought a woman they caught in the act of adultery, which is t- awful on many levels. They're perverts. Like what windows are they looking in they right? you know, catch mm. her? And they bring her in, probably naked or at least barely clothed, in her shame, and they throw her down in front of Jesus. It's like going in front of your grandma, you know, like in <laughs> sin. They throw in front of Jesus at church. Mm. And everyone else is seeing this. And he just looks at her and then looks at them and they start quoting the Bible at him. I just, that story mm. is crazy to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, okay, rabbi, the Bible says stone her. And he goes, yep, sure does. And I'm, I'm sure she's thinking, I thought you were the cool guy you guys were talking about. Why are you agreeing? <laughs>
1: Anytime now. Yeah, in and come on. Yeah, I didn't like, think is that, that was the end? where this was going. Yeah, and,
2: and he says, I'll tell you what, let whoever of you has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he starts looking down at the ground. And I don't, it, it's very speculative as to why he did that. I've joked before. I think he was designing the the Jesus fish. You know, like just plain the dirt. That's where it all started. Yeah, he's like, "That's cool." I'm gonna show Peter that later. But anyway, he uh, he's looking. I, I wonder if he was honestly looking at the ground, so he doesn't shame her by staring at her hmm. in her in her sin and her shame. But uh, they stands by cup, and he says, "Well, lady, where are your accusers?" She says, "They're gone." And he says, "Neither do I condemn you. Leave that and follow me." Mm. So the same thing he said to the religious person, mm. he said to the woman caught in adultery, he said to Peter when he called him, leave your your boats to follow me. Like pastors, we got to get back to that message. Mm. Leave what identifies you, leave what shames you, leave what made you and follow Jesus. Yeah. Don't apologize for asking people to lay down their pride, their greed, their sin to follow Jesus. That's so good. It's okay. the message of Christ. There's a new king in town. Mm. It ain't us. Mm -hmm. And so preach that.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so good. And something that I know I was chatting with you a little bit before we started today of about how much I've appreciated that life point that you guys are so willing to go to the hard places with people Um, because um, I have, you know, seen examples of of churches that are just like, okay, well, I'm not, we're not going to go to the hard stuff. We're not going to go to the deep stuff. We're just going to make it pretty comfortable for everybody. Right and and so that either just makes it comfortable for everybody or for the countless people who are walking in broken and hurting on sunday they're like these people don't get anything about my real life and they don't know how to address my real life therefore does jesus know how to address my real life and so there's just this major disconnect between jesus and the church with the brokenness of people's lives and the fact that you guys are willing to go there with people and hit the hard things i mean you were even saying before the show that you've been thinking about doing a series of just letting people ask you questions like what you guys want to know? Like, I'll go wherever you guys want to go. That you're not scared of anything or overwhelmed with a topic, but that you're willing to mm-hmm. to go there. So, I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah. So Jesus, God will give you broken people if you make room for them. Yeah. And I think part of, especially my background, I, you know, I've I've lived through brokenness. I've experienced it. I've seen it. Stephanie has too. Um, but the solution is not better programs or better mm. obedience. It's more Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So. I don't know that we have gone into every valley, mm. but we've gone into every valley God's asked us to go into. Mm-hmm, so whether mm-hmm. it's like we, we partner with outreach for homeless people, we work with veterans, we work with people in need, pregnancy center, we, we work with you guys as as well as we can. Anytime, what will happen if you give people room, they'll expose the weakness and the need, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you just connect to those needs and you let Jesus intervene in that stuff. Um, we, one of the things I'm really proud of, we have a special needs team that just deals with families, with kids with special needs on Sundays. And, you know, that's a that's an area of, of brokenness and hurt hmm. in these glorious, beautiful kids that God's yeah. gifted them that 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 the church really doesn't know what to do mm-hmm. with because we don't staff it or train it or it's uncomfortable or, or whatever. So we've just created space for that. And it's become a growing area of ministry in our church that... I'm not doing. I mean, I'm I'm preaching mm-hmm. on Sundays, mm. right? But we have a whole class. I went by this uh, last week. And there was four or five kids, special needs. Each kid has a, a, an adult with them, and we just create space for brokenness to show up mm. and then make room for them to be valuable and important. It's awesome. Jesus had a constant willingness to make room for broken people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right when the and and religious people will try to deflect that, even his disciples, best friend Peter, when kids come around and are like, "Get out of here, kids! Mm. Don't yeah. bother Jesus!" and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." I'll always make room for people.
1: Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, Mike, as we're getting ready to wrap up in the next comments, the other question that comes to mind for me, if I were a pastor and I were sitting here listening to what you're saying is that you all have a church where you're very intentional about the folks that are coming in that maybe know nothing of Jesus. And you also have this people that maybe have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And I think there's a, I know I've heard just in culture and different church settings that, you know, that's the seeker friendly church or that's the church that's maybe more for people who've known the Lord for a while. And it sounds like you guys are very intentional and do both well. So as a pastor, what are your thoughts on how to do that? Well, I think you've kind of pointed to that a little bit, but I think very specifically, what were your thoughts be to a pastor that's like, how do I do both of these things Mm. well?
2: Yeah, I look back to the Sermon on the Mount and I think of Jesus beautifully blending both crowds. Yeah, There's this crowd of thousands who are seeking him and then these 12 guys who are with him, they're found by him, they're called by him. They still don't really get him yet. Mm -hmm. And and part of it is an understanding that I don't care how long you've been in church, you don't really get God yet either. Yeah, that's right. I'm a pastor with two seminary degrees, almost my doctorate, and I still don't get God right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've still, there's times where I read the Bible and I put a question mark by it. (laughs) And I feel like when the, when the disciples followed the, uh, when he gave the parable of the sower, they're, they're probably amening him and clapping like, Oh Jesus, that was awesome. (laughs) Now, privately they go, could you
0: explain that parable (laughs) to us?
2: And Jesus looks at him like, are you kidding me right now? Like nobody in the crowd asked for an Uh explanation. There, There is a marriage, and I, I don't think a church should ever be one or the other, mm-hmm. ever, because people are seeking God. Yeah, It's in the heart of—it's the Imago Dei. It's the image of God on us that we want to connect to the Father. Creation pushes us to that. The Spirit's drawing people all the time. But as a pastor, if you lean into saying, I want to be— just a church for like millennials or mm-hmm. old people or, or just this certain crowd, then you're, you're missing the missional ecclesiology piece yeah. of, of who's around and what does it look like to be like what we're around. Um, mm-hmm. but if you're also like only for the found, then I, I wonder honestly, and this sounds really kind of harsh, probably. I wonder what, why does the Holy Spirit need to show up to a place that doesn't care for the missing?
1: Right, because mm-hmm.
2: His whole mission was to seek and save the lost. Mm-hmm. And if we're not going to be a people who are after the lost, if all you want is like my my uh, my main professor in seminary called it spiritual navel gazing, if all you want to do is gather as a church to look inwardly at how to be better and how to mm-hmm. know more about God, mm-hmm. the God you already serve. What obligation does the Holy Spirit have for that? In, yeah. in the parable of the missing mm. sheep in Luke 15, Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 for one. So I always want to be a church that has room for the missing because it guarantees that, the, that God's there mm, right. looking with me for those lost people. <laughs> yes. So good. So how do you blend the two? I, you know, I think about that every week when I'm sermon writing. I go, how, okay, does this make sense to an unchurched person? Does this make sense to a person of another denomination? Does this make sense to a lost person? Does this mm. make sense to the retired pastor who's in my church, mm-hmm. who's grumpy that we're not Pentecostal enough? or do, you know, have oil (laughs) on everybody's forehead. Like, does it make sense to everybody that's in the room? That's one of the hard things about pastoring an eclectic church is trying to speak to every audience. Mm, Yeah. But if you'll be intentional about it and make room for that in your message. And sometimes I'll even say, I say, I know some of you know this story, but. Or I'll say, some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. Let me let me just tell you real quick who David mm. is. You know? or, right. You just have to be very intentional. Our mission statement hit, hits all of it. The mission of LifePoint Church is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And I'll say it, and then I always give this caveat: I said whether you're an unbeliever, a new believer, an old believer, mm-hmm. we have room to grow in our walk with Jesus. That's great and prophetic That's right. preaching always brings people back to surrender to lordship of Christ. Whether you're not a lost person or a found person, we have room to grow Mm -hmm. and grow in our walk with Jesus. So
3: good. Yeah, and I think we have to remind some of our— Um, more seasoned saints, you know, I mean, I I would consider myself that I'm only Mm -hmm. 37, but I've been in church my whole life, Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe I know these things, but my responsibility then is to disciple and train up new believers who are coming. And so we work with that a lot, reminding and encouraging those that are already found, if you will, Mm -hmm. hey, we've got a mission in front of us. It's Mm -hmm. not to just be content and comfortable, but there are so many broken people around us that you need to lead that life group. You need to step out. Well, I don't know about that. Yep. That's why we're here. We're going to grow. Awesome. That. That's awesome.
2: yep. I struggle a lot with the attitude that church is about feeding Christians, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, cause that's one of the biggest complaints people have about churches. They leave, they go, well, I wasn't being fed. I go, okay, first of all, um, we we are part we are self feeders as well. And churches are designed, Ephesians four, God says he's gifted the church with a pastor, prophet, evangelist, apostle, teacher, whatever these gifts are, to equip you. Not to feed you. That's it's yeah. to equip you. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. you have personal walk with God.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You have devotion to Jesus. And if you're depending on me to be your only feeder, you're gonna starve to death. Yeah. And and we have to be activated to the mission of God. Jesus, he would take time with the disciples to explain things, but mostly he was like all right, I'm getting you trained up here because you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You're going to carry this mission forward. And so it's really risky, though, to say to your people who are paying for it and have been there forever, that's their attitude, you know, to say we're not here for us. Yeah. When we open our new building, uh, I remember one of the first sermons I preached, I brought out chairs from the auditorium chair from the kids ba- uh, the student space, the ki- chair from the kids space, and then chair from the like toddler class. And it was like six inches high off the ground. So cute. And I sat in each chair as part of the sermon. Mm. And I said, let me just tell you something. All of you guys in the room right now, you're all in these big, comfy, cushioned chairs up here. But actually the chairs that matter most are these little ones, the ones that are coming up. Mm. And then I had an empty chair. And I said, in fact, I'm asking you not only to pay for your chair— but to pay for the chair of the people that haven't come here yet, haven't yeah. moved here, the government hasn't brought them or they haven't moved to town yet. We will always have a church for the missing. Hmm. Be a church that has room for the missing because that's that's the heart of the kingdom of God. But, but let me shape... Let me lead and, and pastor you mm. as found people to have that heart to make room for the missing. But it's risky. Mm-hmm. They'll fight you on it. Mm-hmm. And and I fight it, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's way easier to just kind of have my own little holy roller club, mm. you know, and, joke. and be like us. But yep. that's just not the yep. way Jesus did ministry. Yep.
0: It, that's great. I mean, honestly, just hearing both of you sharing, I know this is not something that y'all are like walking around talking about, but it's impossible for me not to hear what you're saying and hear your heart for the church and not be like, well, of course the Lord is pouring out blessing on that church. And yes, the fastest growing church in this country. But what I love is that it's not because there's a place of surrender and humility that both of you guys bring Mm -hmm. um, to your positions that I'm like, that is why it's no wonder to me that the Lord is blessing. It's not because you've got great programs or great staff. And you do. You have great programs. You have great staff. You have great strategies. You have great plans. But there is such a heart of surrender that you guys have for the church. You, I mean, I've heard you stop yourself a couple of times where you said, my church. Wait, nope. God's church that I'm pastoring (laughs) like that. It's your steward of that. And so it just to me reflects the heart. And so I just think for other pastors who might be listening or people who lead in the church, there is something to be said for strategy. There's something to be said for programs and staff and volunteers and doing all this great, but there is there's nothing more important than that heart of surrender for yeah. what you have been given as a blessing to steward. And so I just, I'm inspired by that and I hope others are as well as they mm-hmm. listen. Um,
2: and just, so oh, just yeah, to that point, I just real quick, the parable of the talents, this is part of my book that I'm going to be writing. Oh Yes. Um, the parable of talent suggests that a landowner gives all of his stuff to people to as entrustments. And it says at the beginning, it says that the the owner gave to each one according to their ability that he determined in them. He determines what we can handle, right? What size church life point will be. That's up to God. And he's determined whether or not I can handle it. And as soon as I stop saying humble and teachable about it, he's going to stop that Mm, because I can't handle that. Mm. I can't handle 8,000 if I'm not good with 4,000. right? But at the end of it, in the parable, it says all of the people, it says that the landowner comes back and settles accounts mm-hmm. and he takes it all back. Like he doesn't give any back. He doesn't give a percentage mm-hmm. to the to mm-hmm. the guys. He doesn't, hey, good job. Here's 10%. He yeah. takes all of it back. Yeah. And so at the mm-hmm. end of each of the first two, the five talent guy and the two talent guy, he says, well done, good and faithful. He didn't say well done, good and fruitful. So I don't have an obligation and I don't stay up at night trying to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. I just want to be faithful. So good. And with faithfulness, God will bring fruitfulness. I said that earlier, that you can plant the greatest seed in the world and put Miracle Grow, pray over it, lay hands on it, but God will grow it when he's ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All we can do is be faithful with another man's church. Mm-hmm. It's God's church. Mm-hmm. And the day will come when I die or retire. There's the only two ways I want to go out. <laughs> um, Lord's will, honestly. Yeah. But, and in another, God will give that church another pastor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's his church.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So... We, we not only say that, we truly believe that. So we uh, sometimes I somebody asks me, like, how does that feel to have the church like that? And I go, I feel like a little kid with Vaseline drenched hands carrying a glass vase. Hmm. That's my mom's precious heirloom. And I'm hmm. like, ah, oh, you know, and, and I feel like <laughs> God's watching me sometimes like, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. But it's not mine. Yeah. I don't get to keep any of it. I have to turn it all back in. Mm-hmm. And hmm. my our hope is to be found faithful. And... Um, that's what stirs us the most of all. So that's when hard decisions are even harder because it's, it helps to make hard decisions because it's about faithfulness to another, to God's flock, to God's church, God's house. Um, and, and it makes it easier to sleep at night because I don't stress about it because God will grow it when he's ready. And if he mm-hmm. chooses to stop growing it, that's on him, not me.
0: That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good. It's good. Well, I think as we, as we wrap up, I would love to give both of you guys just one opportunity um, before we sign off of, um, you know, What would you say if you were just standing in front of a room full of people who are leaders in ministry, leaders in the church? Um, Stephanie, specifically, if you had anything to say to women in ministry um, or women who are married to senior pastors, (laughs) one of the (laughs) two, anything that you guys, if you were like, if I could say one thing to challenge
3: or encourage, what would that be? okay, I'll go first i I had four, but um let's oh. see. Uh, go, girl. Let's see. well i can I can uh, condense here, so pray for your spouse, yeah, um, I mean sometimes we don't realize the weight they carry the burden mm. they carry they may uh uh unload a lot on us, but we forget the the weight they're carrying, mm, so bring that before the good. Lord. Um, the other one was be you, be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just in a social media culture where we're, we just don't measure up. We don't speak well enough. We don't uh, dress the best way. You know, there are just so many things we don't measure up to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my church um, wants nothing more than for me to be who God's called me to be. Yeah, They, they don't want to see um, the latest, greatest pastor's wife trained out of California coming to Clark. They want, you know, yeah. Stephanie to be Stephanie, yeah. you know. And if that means I'm, maybe I don't speak, but I love to pray over people. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to be. You that's know. Awesome. So, so oh, great. So That's realizing that, um, uh, can I just give a quick challenge? Please um, challenge away. I guess we're all about the- <laughs> um, I, I think an important thing to remember as a pastor's wife or a ministry leader's wife is that um, you need to grow in your personal walk with the Lord. Because um, I think for the first couple of years, I would. It's like, oh, Mike knows the answer to that or he can handle that conversation or I'll let him mm. answer this. And you just defer to the leader because mm. he's up on the studies. He's up on this. There came a point where I'm like, wow, oh, I'm not going to stand before the Lord and give an account for Mike. Mm. Like I'm going to give an yeah, account good. for what's the Lord's asked me to do. You yeah. know, and if that's ministry in the home, great. If that's ministry on a stage, great. Whatever that looks like for your context. But you need to be faithful with that and cultivating and developing mm. your personal walk with the Lord. And we just can't um, let the husbands carry that. You know? Yeah have to be a responsible fact yeah so don't be critical be prayerful Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things easy to be critical about be prayerful and then the last thing was, um, love the little ones in your home. Mm-hmm. We were just having a conversation about mm-hmm. this, that, you know, the days are long and the years are short. Mm-hmm. And so ministry will still be here when our little ones are out yeah, the that's house, right? But we got to love them. What does it profit us to grow a church that's vibrant and healthy at the cost of our, our kids not knowing that's Christ so because we just were unavailable or whatever the case. Oh, that's so so we just want to love and invest in them. We're not perfect at it. You know, it's something balance is a hard word in ministry. And so I'm, we're constantly bringing that before the the Lord and being strategic with our schedule, but um, love them while they're in our house. Mm. Of course, once they leave too, we'll still love them.
2: (laughs) It's huge. And we tell our team to five things, love God, like live and lead out of a heart that loves Jesus um, humbly, you know, love people. Don't forget that we're in the people business. This is what we do. Mm. Jesus didn't come to save buildings Mm. or your bank account. He came to save humans. So love the broken, love the found. They're all broken. Mm. Um, Stay humble and teachable. Let others speak into you. Even like a church of a hundred can teach me something, yeah. and I, I just want to be teachable. It's a value on our staff that uh, it's a non sequitur. You got to be teachable. Mm. Uh, choose joy. Like we laugh a lot. It's just that's fun. So I, I can't believe Pastor Chris taught me this. Uh, it is a privilege to serve, mm. and so I have nothing but to be thankful that God let me, of all people in the world, serve in His eternal kingdom. I mean, this is Book of Acts type stuff yeah. that I get to be a part of. Mm. Um, And at any level, when people are getting saved, it's book of Acts type stuff. So be joyful and rejoice in that. And then just be excellent at what you do. It said about Jesus, Mm. he did everything well. So just be excellent at it. And that doesn't mean be perfect. It just means try hard, you know, (laughs) because it's another man's, for the lack of a better term, it's another man's kingdom. It's another man's flock. Mm. So I want to steward his church in a way that makes him Awesome. Mm,
1: So good. You guys, it's been so awesome, awesome, awesome. We loved it. Thank
2: you so much (laughs) having you guys with us. Oh, it's so
1: good. Well, if you all, as listeners, are interested in learning or knowing more about LifePoint Church, you can check out their website at LifePointChurch.tv. And if you want to follow Pastor Mike on social media, you can find him at at Pastor Mike Burnett on Facebook or Instagram, and at Mike Burnett on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed, or if you'd like to share your ideas for future podcasts, Podcast topics. Please let us know by emailing us at mercytalkatmercymultiplied.com. And if you're enjoying Mercy Talk, be sure that you go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review.
0: We also want to remind you that Mercy Multiplied and Mercy Talk are funded solely by donors, and we are so thankful for the support of so many people all over the country and even the world. So please consider supporting this free programming by giving a gift at mercymultiplied.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thanks for listening today and we hope you'll join us next week.